Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. All right, welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In, the podcast by Dig Insights. I'm Megan, the VP of Marketing and Communications, and today I'm with Ella Jackson, who's founded a company called May Insight. She's based in the UK. Ella, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I've just realized that I've scheduled this interview over your bank holiday Monday. Um, so feeling a little worse for wear for that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, hopefully, hopefully we won't take up too much of your holiday. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry at all. It's, um, yeah, it's been a busy weekend. So um, this is going to get me back into the work mindset ready for, for tomorrow. So that's all good. Get rid of the Monday scaries after the the holiday. Um, so today we're going to chat a little bit about, I think this episode is actually going to be so interesting because we haven't had anyone come on with your background before. We're going to talk a little bit about how to effectively sell into retailers, which is a topic we haven't, we haven't covered yet. Um, but before we dive into that, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about what you've been up to in your career? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, my sort of introduction to the world of insight, my, my first um, job was at IRI um, over here in the UK, and I was working in the, the retail team. So essentially, that was a really good starting point of um, getting to work really closely with retailers and delving into, into the data and all of that sort of stuff. And that kind of naturally progressed into a career that's mostly been focused on category management. Um, so yeah, I I started category um, at a company called Alberto Culver, who were then acquired by Unilever, and I ended up spending um, quite a long time um, at Unilever um, building my kind of category skills. I did a, a small stint at Mars Chocolate as well. And then I ended up back at Unilever and I did some more internally focused, uh, more strategic insight roles. But the, the main thread throughout all of that has really been that I've worked really closely with retailers and kind of built built those partnerships from a, um, a consumer goods supplier side with the, with the retailers and always thinking about you know, shopper behavior in store and, and um, throughout that shopper journey, really. And then yeah, I I left um, left Unilever in 2019 and set up my own consultancy business. Um, yeah, which has been busy and and going strong ever since. Interesting timing given the pandemic. Um, mm. So was it a good time? Do you think to have set up your business, or was it challenging? I'm just curious how that went. Yeah, I think it. I think it it worked out well in the end. So. Yeah. It was sort of because it was it was September 2019, so I had a good six months pre-pandemic of of um, you know I, I got used to working from home before everybody else did um, working for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a good six months of being able to get out and, and go and speak to people, and then and then sort of we were all stuck at home and. Um, yeah, I, I thought, I, we all thought it was only going to last a few months and I might totally. be quiet for a couple of months, but, um, ultimately, yeah, it, it didn't stay quiet for very long and yeah, got, got very busy very quickly. Well, and I, I mean, the categories were changing a lot too, mm. right? Like so much was changing. So 
that kind of checks out. Yeah, um, absolutely. Amazing. Well, I'm so glad that it's going so well for you now. Um, I'm wondering with that background of working in sort of big FMCG or big CPG, um, what was sort of unique about that experience that you've brought with you into May Insight in terms of understanding the category, maybe if we frame it that way? Yeah. So, oh, well, I think because I started at agency side, I learned the basics in a small business and then I came into a big business. I essentially learned, first of all, how to make the most of what little data and insight you have right. in a small business. So when I kind of came into Unilever, it was a little bit overwhelming, just quite how much data and how much information right. is is available. Um, so really the, the, the key skill that I kind of developed because of that was prioritizing, you know, if, especially if you've got a curious mind and you want to know everything, you want to know everything that there is to know about your category. Um, but you, you really have to think about what is it we're trying to achieve? You know, if, if, what we're doing in category management is essentially understanding the category, understanding what the drivers of the performance are and building strategies to to grow the overall category, right? So starting from a mindset of what is the data telling us, you can just get lost and and drown in that data. So, you, you know, same as any other kind of research objective, really, you need to start with what are we trying to achieve? What are we going to do with this information? All of those kinds of questions and really think about what you want to know from from the data and from the other um, information resources you've got available to you. Very interesting. I think it's such a fascinating, I love this idea of sort of understand, obviously it's part of my job is understanding sort of the the research category as it were. Mm -hmm. um, but I love the idea of pulling so many different types of data together to understand um, where a category is going or how to grow a category. Are there any other sort of best practices that you employ now at May Insight um, mm -hmm. with your, your customers that you want to call out? Yeah. Um, for me, a big one is appreciating the amount of knowledge that just exists in people's heads, right? So whenever I come onto a new category to work to work on for the first time, I always start with what what knowledge have you got? Not just as a as a business, but also as individuals, because it it can be surprising just how much of a a company's knowledge just sits in individual people's mm. heads. So I always sort of start with that and thinking right, who do I need to talk to? Who's been working on the category for a long time? And try and absorb as much of that information as I can before I even think about what kind of data to look into and stuff. Um, because, yeah, a lot of knowledge only comes from experience. And you do have to, you know, filter through what is genuine knowledge, what are hypotheses that you you need right. to test and you need to kind of look into you know because we do having worked on categories for a long time you do pick up things that you you take as truths but when you kind of probe into it you find out we need to sort of test that hypothesis a little bit um and figure out what blind spots people have as well because there might be things that they they haven't even thought of 
So I think that's that for me is is always kind of step one. And then once you know what knowledge they've got, what needs testing, what blind spots they've got, that's when you can start thinking about what kind of data do we need to look at? What kind of insight do we need to be looking out for? And we could probably just talk about understanding the category, which is obviously a, a part of what we're going to chat about today. But I do want to move into this idea of selling into retailers and, and how that process works. Mm. Um, admittedly, not something that I do on a day-to-day. So I'm fascinated to learn kind of what even the best practices look like. But let's almost look at the inverse uh, to start. So coming from big sort of um, uh, FMCG or, or consumer goods companies, mm-hmm. are there any issues, not not necessarily directly attributable to the companies you worked at, but are there any sort of like issues or challenges or roadblocks that you've seen um, with those brands selling into retailers that you wanted to sort of um, mitigate, I guess, when you set up May mm-hmm. Insight? Yeah, so... It is, yeah, helping to build these category-led selling stories is something we've been helping quite a lot of, of brands with, of all sorts of shapes and sizes, really. Um, and the the purpose for that is to make sure that they're talking to retailers about how their, their brand or their innovation is going to benefit the retailer, benefit the the shoppers in those stores and and benefit the overall category because I think our instinct you know for marketeers the instinct is to just talk about how amazing their brand is how amazing their product is and and that the the product is so great it's going to sell itself but from a a point of view of a retailer and I think that's that's the thing you have to do is to step into the shoes of that buyer that you're pitching to they are just going to be thinking what's in it for me how are you going to benefit my category sales how are you going to help me achieve my targets or bring new shoppers in or trade shoppers up whatever that may look like so I think that's that's the key really is to to reposition it and to get people to think about telling that story from the po- you know to, from the point of view of a retailer of how it's going to benefit them and their shoppers. Does that and make sense? You, yes, no, that totally makes <laughs> sense. Um, <laughs> I think my my follow up question to that is: Is there sort of a best practice when it comes to setting up that story? So, in terms of like data points that you need to make sure you're aware of, like how exactly do you prove that? ROI to the retailer. Um, yeah. yeah, feel free to be as specific as you possibly can. Yeah. So I always start with the the big picture, the kind of macro insight, the things that are the big things that are happening in, in the world or in the country that you're talking about that are gonna affect how people shop this category. So I guess that being said, over the last sort of year. Every single deck I've helped to create has started with, as you know, we're living in the middle of a cost of living crisis yeah. because it, there, you know, there, there's not many categories out there that, that won't be impacting. So it's really important to kind of set the scene and think about this is the context in the in the category that we're talking about and 
the more detail you get into, then it's harder to get people back to thinking about that bigger context. So that's why we always start there. Start with the the macro view. Start with the um, the opportunity and the category, and that for me is all about making the right first impression. Because you mm. can go in there and start with a slide that says, "This is our brand history. This is where we come from. This is how amazing we are." But if I was a buyer, I would just be thinking, oh, great. So that's your first, you know, that's your first slide. That's what's important to you, as opposed to coming at it from this is the big picture stuff. This is, you know, this is what we're thinking about and and how we're looking to to work with you so we can both grow our businesses. Right. So I think that's the the kind of the important way to start. And when when you sort of ask about how can you you prove things there's a real balance here between speaking to people's minds and speaking to people's hearts you know we all we all make decisions on that balance of facts and feelings and I think because people think it's a category-led story that it's all about data and facts but it's it is a real balance so it's important to be saying you know, these are the the hard facts that prove that this is the opportunity in the category. This is how our product's going to meet that opportunity. This is how we're going to affect the overall category. But at the same time, there's a really important human element to bring to life around why the shopper is going to buy it in the first place. So is, is there an unmet need that your product is going to fulfill and it's all good and well bringing that to life with numbers and talking about, you know, the demographic of your shopper. But it's another thing to bring that to life with real people who are really looking for your product. And to what extent does sort of the other products on shelf that might be sort of competing with your product, to what extent does that play a role in this story? Really, really important because, again, bringing it back to the point of view of the retailer, for every product they want to put on their shelves, they're going to have to take something out. So I think that the way that I like to approach this is we never say anything bad about competitor products because, you know, there are some really great products out there and there's a need for them on the shelves. From a category perspective, we are thinking about what is right for the overall category, what's right for the shopper and giving them the most choice. Uh, But at the same time, if you can demonstrate, for example, this product is listed in another retailer and it sells better than that product you have on your shelf, that can be a really powerful way to, to say to them, you know, we're not telling you you have to take that product out. We're just letting you know that our product is already selling better than that product in another retailer. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that's where data really does come in, like have, being able to have some data in your in your toolkit or yeah. arsenal. I don't think that's the right saying. But yeah, being able to have that data to hand and be like, okay, um, you know, while all of these products are great, um, we know you have to make a, a challenging decision. So, you know, maybe allowing your allowing the people in the room and allowing yourself to sort of rely on those hard mm-hmm. facts um, might make the argument a little bit 
a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like making sure that that is data that, that you can back up and really use to, to say that this is the truth of what's happening. Um, because... And there's some there's some kind of um, issues around that. I, I know in the UK, for example, we can't. I don't know if it's the same in in Canada or in the US, but in the UK, we can't share data from one retailer with another retailer. We have strict confidentiality rules around that. Oh, okay, right. Um, which is why we always sort of look at it as a you know our product sells 1.5 times this product something like that as a way to kind of bring it to life the the retailer may then go back to that other supplier and say i've heard that there are products that outsell your product and have that conversation so i would never endorse making anything up because retailers can always find out the truth <laughs> they can always fact check you yeah exactly <laughs> okay i have a couple more questions about this um, and when it comes to actually building the story. So does the fact that Omnichannel is like so key right now, like this idea of shopping mm-hmm. online, even through a retailer or direct to consumer as like an avenue, does that sort of factor into your storytelling at all? Like how does that play, especially because it's become so much more yeah. important over the last few years, like how does that play, play a part? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I- I always say that there is no, there's no shopper journey that is online or offline. Every shopper journey has touch points across both. You are influenced, even if you buy online, you're influenced by what you see in store and vice versa. So making sure from a, from a brand's perspective, making sure that the messages that you're, you're landing are consistent across all of those different touch points are really important and it, it's it's shifted a lot in how we tell these these selling stories because sort of even five years ago you would have um, a presentation that's very much about the in-store environment and most of our sales are still in store but you would mm-hmm. tag on a bit on the end about here's what we're going to do online Whereas now it's like kind of like the final small little add on at the exactly. It was always if we've got a bit of time on the end, we'll talk about what we're doing online. (laughs) Uh, Whereas now it's all it's all part of the same story because the the kind of the stuff that we're doing online is influencing what people buy in store and vice versa. So it needs to be consistent and it needs to have all all the, the same messaging and the same touch points with in different way I say the same messaging the same overall messaging but the way that you do it is different um depending on where you're okay. talking to people and I know a lot of smaller brands often start well, maybe maybe that's a fallacy but I know that a lot of like brands that I really love have often started direct to consumer um as a way of kind of getting things off the ground and then they'll they'll try to sell into a retailer. I'm just wondering when it comes to that that story or even the challenges of selling into a retailer as a smaller brand or like a, a growing brand, does anything change um, in terms of your advice or in terms of the data that you would recommend showing? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd say that 
the earlier a brand is in its journey, the lower the expectation from the retailer on you having that that solid category story and that category argument. Um, I have worked with quite a few brands on their first ever retailer presentation. Um, and exactly as you were saying, they are brands that are direct to consumer currently, and they're trying to get that first um, major retailer listing. And the the data that is available to them, even from their own website, can be really powerful because there's, okay. there's more... Um, quality data you can get from your own website than you would be able to get from um, other sources because you can see where in the country your shoppers are you can see you might be able to get information about the demographic of your shopper and all of these kinds of insights and um, how frequently they're coming back all of that kind of stuff and so there's quite a lot of data that you can retrieve from that and then also a lot of the smaller startup brands tend to use social media quite heavily in order to build their audience as well. So there's a lot of insight Great. that you can pull from that, both quantitative and qual as well, because you can talk about the sort of comments you're getting on your posts and things like that to really bring to life that the, the consumer base you already have is really strong. And that they would potentially translate into a retail environment as well as bringing in new shoppers. But having having an eczema base is a really strong argument for a retailer to take on a, a small brand, especially if they are attracting a different shopper to the one that that retailer already has. Really cool. I have one more question before we move on to rapid fire because I'm conscious of time, but um it was just around this idea of like balancing insight that you have access to. So um, when it comes to category insights or like an understanding of like what's, mm. what's happening in the category versus maybe like yeah. customer data that you have access to as someone who works within a brand, how do you balance that when it comes to your sell story? Like what does the retailer care more about? Um, no, no, no. Maybe that's no, not the right way no. of framing it. But yeah, <laughs> that's what I think I'm that of. those two things are they're linked. You can't understand the category without understanding the shopper um, and and the retailer as well. And we always talk about um there's a really important category management principle um that we talk about in this space called the triple win. Um essentially it's a Venn diagram. Do you like a Venn diagram? <laughs> <laughs> so Always. yeah imagine a Venn diagram <laughs> with three circles um the first circle being the needs of the shopper the second circle being the needs of the retailer and the third being the the needs of the brand and essentially the things that are going to have that staying power that are going to grow the overall category and they're going to be around for a long time are the things that sit in the middle of that if you have a solution that is going to be great for your brand, great for the retailer, but the shopper is not meeting any shopper needs, there's going to be nobody to buy it. So it's not going to work. And equally, if it's good right. for the brand, good for the shopper, but it doesn't work for the retailer, then they're not going to list it and it's it's never going to reach the shopper anyway. So you really need to be thinking about does my innovation, does my solution sit in the middle of that Venn diagram? 
So using both kind of the the category data from a, a sales perspective to show this is how this is how we're going to add value to the overall category from a cash perspective is really important. But you also need to talk about this is how we're going to bring value to the retailer and to the shopper beyond that. So if you know mm. retailers have all got targets around sustainability, for example, so if your solution is ticking boxes for them from a sustainability perspective, and that's also something the shopper is working for, then this is an important part of your story. Or if it's like healthy eating, that's something that's important to a retailer, to a shopper. Right. And this is how you bring that into your story. Um, because if you if you just talk about the the growing sales, that's that's great, but it's more believable when you've got the things that are gonna add value beyond that as well. Yeah, of course. Really cool. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. I'm going to switch to our three rapid fire questions. So first being, tell us a new or novel way that you've gone about understanding a client's audience or customer. Yeah, I think that um, you're probably getting this answer a lot lately, but I have been experimenting with ChatGPT along with a lot of other people. Um, Oh my gosh. So wait, yeah. Tell us a little bit. I know that's not the point of rapid fire, but what was like the prompt? Like um, what did you ask? So I, I, it's been a really good tool to aid with any kind of desk research. So like help, you know, helping to, to understand if I've got a, a product that is targeted at a specific, specific shopper demographic, it's been really great at telling us more about right. that. And then more recently, I've been trying to use it as a tool to um, do a bit of social listening as well, because it can go, you know, see what people are saying on Twitter about your specific category, your specific product as well. Cool. Um, and that's been really interesting. So I feel like I haven't quite figured out exactly how to use it yet, but that that one's been really good. Um just to sort of say, you know, have a look at have a look at Twitter, see what are the, the things that people are talking about in this this specific category, in this specific area. And um, the, the thing that I found really useful is to always challenge it to tell me like the source of the information it's providing me and specific examples as well. So rather than just what topics right. are people talking about on Twitter. I'll ask it that. And can you give me 10 specific examples of people talking about that? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good tip. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the source piece is so yeah, especially, important too. Yeah. Um, like where yeah, is this especially actually coming on that, from? that desk research side of things, because I have been fed back some things that, you know, I a bit questionable. And so I kind of probe a little bit to just say, where you know where did you get that information from what's the source of that because same as you would if you were using google right totally and i just did a a panel discussion with three people who know a ton about ai um one of them being our like head of analytics internally and he was saying something i didn't even think about this but he's like chat gpt is always going to give you an answer like it's never Mm -hmm. not going to provide you with something so depending on how good your prompt is or depending on how like you could end up with like a load of like absolute rubbish like it might it might just yeah. be like absolutely nothing um yeah. but yeah I thought that was really interesting but I think 
I think that is something that makes when you're doing desk research, chat GPT a little bit easier to use than Google, because if if you don't get the right answer out of Google, you have to then think, okay, what do I Google instead? Whereas with ChatGPT, you can refine the yeah. information it's giving you, right? So quite often I might forget to specify UK and it will give me stats from the US. And then right. I can say, actually, can you give me the same information but for the UK? And that's quite a, a helpful difference. Oh, that's I true. Think. Wow, that's so interesting, actually. Um, I should That should have been one of the questions I asked you. Um, Sorry, we're in your rapid fire. No worries. <laughs> okay, we'll make these like extra quick. Who do you look to when yeah. you're trying to understand where your industry is going? So I guess um, you could take that twofold. It could be like the category mm-hmm. insight um, or research in general or like any of the categories that, um, that you're researching. I... <laughs> I, I, my answer is ev- everywhere, really. I, I've become a bit of an expert in getting free insights and setting up my own business. So um, I have uh, all of the, the newsletters from from the big kind of agencies, your Cantage, your Mintel, your IGD. I have a folder in my inbox where all the emails go um, and just wherever I can get information from. And, and Think with Google is a really good one as well because okay. that one sort of – quite different from what you would get specific to um consumer goods industry but yeah so quite a lot of quite a lot of places and then um i'm all over linkedin looking to see what people are saying as well love it and finally if you have one tip to leave a researcher listening to this with what would it be i think that understanding understanding where your client's coming from, what they're trying to achieve. And not just when I say understand your client, not just the company, but the individual people that you're, you're talking to as well and, and sort of their sphere of influence. So making sure that you're starting with what are they trying to achieve and how can I help make that happen? Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ella. Where can people find a bit more info about you or your company? Yeah. So we have a a website, which is mayinsight.co.uk, or you can find me on on LinkedIn. So my name's Ella Jackson. My my LinkedIn is Ella May Jackson. And yeah, um, I, I post lots of lots of interesting stuff on there hopefully so (laughs) yeah that's how I found you so um (laughs) thank you so much this has been fascinating um we'll be sure to share your LinkedIn with the listeners and chat to you soon perfect thank you so much bye thanks for tuning in this week find us on LinkedIn at dig insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content